Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. When you love meat, you find a way to take it with you everywhere you go, especially when it comes to getting outdoors. That's why Smithfield has so many high-quality, delicious meats that are perfect for any outdoor adventure. Whether the park you're headed to is a national park or just the one down the street, like Smithfield marinated roasted garlic and cracked black pepper fresh pork tenderloin, expertly seasoned for on-the-go flavor, or prime fresh smoked ham that'll have you building on-the-go sandwiches packed with flavor. Smithfield Extra Meaty Back Ribs bring hand-selected perfection to the backyard, and Smithfield Anytime Favorites will help you take the ham you savor to the places you love. From diced ham that'll turn any picnic into an outdoor feast, to hickory smoked boneless ham steaks that are the perfect cap to any hike. The great outdoors just got greater with Smithfield. For the love of meat. everybody welcome to the nomad strength show i am ross hillier your host i am really excited about today's show i had the chance to talk with new york times best-selling author former navy seal jack carr about his new book the devil's hand which i finished a couple of days before we got to speak i cranked through it in about maybe two and a half days it is the best of the four uh, i promise you that if you haven't read any of the terminal list series the james reese saga uh, go read, start with the terminal list, read those books and, uh, just fall in love with them because they are amazing thriller, conspiracy, political thriller, fiction, awesome novels. And, uh, I had a really good time talking with Jack. He's a super great guy. And we talked a lot about the new book and, uh, we talked a lot about the, the the TV series that Amazon is adapting from his first novel, The Terminal List, which stars Chris Pratt as the lead. Uh, Antoine Fuqua is directing it and talks a lot about that process and what it's like for him to have something that he wrote adapted to the screen with such a big name uh, attached to it and Chris Pratt and, and his whole journey there. We also talked a lot about gear and how he's kind of a gearhead and how that works its way into the novels. Uh, it was just a really fun conversation and I'm really I'm really grateful that I had the opportunity to to talk with him about it, and we're, we're hoping that we can do another one uh, when the next book comes out, and uh, I'm really just excited for you guys to listen to this. So if you haven't done so yet, please go wherever you're listening to podcasts and subscribe, uh, rate, review, give five stars, wherever you're able to do that. It really does help the show to grow and helps the all the little algorithm things that all of the techie wizards have put together to um, 
put in front of people. When people like things, they end up being seen by more. And so it really does help if you do the uh, like, subscribe, rate, review, do all that kind of stuff. And then uh, go follow Jack Carr. Uh, he's Jack Carr USA on Instagram. You can also go to his uh, website, which is Jack Carr Official. And then, uh, yeah, read the books. They're awesome. So you can be prepped and ready for when this series comes out. Uh, sometime in 2022 is when, when we talk about it. He doesn't have an exact date. But uh, let's get into it. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Jack Carr. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Nomad Strength Show. I'm Ross Hill, your host. And today I'm joined by best-selling author Jack Carr. Uh, Jack, thank you for making the time and, and being able to hop on with us today. Dude, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I mean, yeah. Nomad strength, man. I need some of that action. I've been yeah. hyping away for like the last three years. So yeah. I am uh, hurting in the nomad strength department. But yes. uh, this is my year to get organized. Like it's been crazy, but I need to like, like get, uh, get a little more, uh, get smarter on like processes and things like that. So I have time set aside for writing, time yeah. set aside for the business part, time set aside for me. Because up to this point, it's been like all over the place. Insane. Totally. Which is good. And it's good only going to get, it's only getting more so now, right? I mean, like it's just increasing every day, it seems. Yeah, it seems that way. It's kind of crazy. And then, uh, of course, gearing up for the the first novel, getting turned into a, a series. So I don't yeah. have no idea what that's gonna gonna look like. Um, sometimes when they adapt a, a novel, they change the name. Uh, like uh, Stephen Hunter's Point of Impact became Shooter mm. with Mark Wahlberg, that yeah. sort of thing. But this has the same same name as the book, and uh, so we'll see. It comes out in twenty twenty two, and and uh, on Amazon Prime. So we'll see what that uh, what that does. But yeah, it's all. It's all good. All good. That's awesome, man. Uh, I want to ask about that in a in a in a couple of minutes, actually, because I'm glad you brought up the show because it, it just the teasing that you've been doing for months has <laughs> been killing me on it. And then with the with the recent releases of the cast being added and all that stuff, it's just been great. So I'm super pumped to look forward to it. Um, I just finished two nights ago. Devil's Hand, uh, crushed through it in like three and a half days. Uh, absolutely awesome and i yeah and i wanted to ask about uh because of the theme of the book really coinciding with the last year and i and i saw that you had actually kind of started this before all of that happened like that was kind of the theme of this novel before all the covid stuff last year so how did did like that change the direction that you took the story when all that started happening or like how was that process yeah, so it didn't change the story at all, but I got to add what happened in 2022, or sorry, yeah. in 2020, into the narrative. So it yeah. just uh, added context for people, obviously, because 2020 was such a pivotal year in our country's history. Uh, but when I started outlining it in, uh, or when I outlined it in uh, August of 2019, um, really the theme was, the theme is, I mean, the catalyst that moves the story forward is a bioweapon attack, mm -hmm. um, disguised as something else, really, uh, mm -hmm. to get the U.S. to do I don't want to give too much spoilers away yeah, yeah, to, yeah. Get to take a certain action. So it's not the typical um, bioweapon book that maybe people have read before in this genre. So it's a little mm -hmm. different, but it fools you at the front thinking that, yeah, it might be uh, kind, of, kind of something that you've read before, but it's really not. Uh, but the theme of the book is really what the enemies learn by watching us on the field of battle for the last 20 years at war. And then I have some older characters uh, that learn something from 1979 to 2001 and that paradigm when mm -hmm. we're talking about international terrorism specifically. Hezbollah, Iran. Um, so, so that that that's really the theme. So, as as we moved into 2020 and COVID hit, 
obviously it's tied to what I'm writing about is that catalyst to move the platform, the, the platform yeah. with that bioweapon. But at the same time, well, the enemy's learning by a response to COVID. They're taking notes. And yeah. so I started writing that because you know, I'm writing during that time as all this is happening. And then, of course, uh, summer of civil unrest hits. And once yep. again, the enemy is learning from that. So that got got woven in. And then we hit a very contentious political season, election cycle. Once again, the enemy is not just casually watching these things. Uh, they are actually taking notes. They're looking at it uh, from a perspective of, wow, they can exploit uh, certain weaknesses um, and uh, to, to turn things to their advantage. And that got woven into the plot. So all these things were happening during this very pivotal year that I had no idea was going to happen in August of 2019 yeah. when I outlined the novel. And from a research standpoint for all of the things, because one of the things that I love about your novels is how detailed they are from a historical context as well. And uh, all the things that I just learned, you know, I'm, I just turned 29. So like when 9-11 hit, I was in fourth grade. Right. Wow. And so like, there's all these things that I feel a little bit old. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so when, uh, like when you're talking about all of these, uh, documents that were, you know, signed and put into law during these times in, in the novel, like I had, that's something that I would have no idea even yeah. remotely happened being so young at that time. And so from like a research standpoint, how did all of the things that happened last year, like, did that change how you would research, um, going into this novel, what you were doing? Not really on the research side of the house because I did yeah. that research all through the fall and early Prior winter to. of uh, yeah of 2019 yeah. and early early 2020. So there's a lot of academic research in this one, and of course yeah. that personal experience that I have in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan or whatever I weave those uh, in as well. But a lot of this one was was academic uh, in that even if I knew something, even if I'd studied something my whole life, like I have terrorism and warfare and insurgencies mm -hmm. and counterinsurgencies, uh, when I'm then putting that into a book, I have to go and confirm all those things that I, that I thought I knew or that I yeah. kind of had in my head, but I have to, you have to confirm all these, all these facts and then tie them into the plot in a way that, that makes sense of course. So, uh, so yeah, this research, the research was intensive and then it continued because I'd get to a certain place and I'd have to go deeper, um, or I'd come to a problem that I need to figure out on the page and that, uh, necessitated some more research. So, so the research really is continuing uh, as I go and as I write, because I have to go back and continually reference things, uh, continually reference my notes, continually uh, reference the, uh, the, the index in, in different books to get to certain parts uh, to find that paragraph or to find that sentence that I need to confirm something or to answer a, a question. And uh, so, it, I, so I love that part of it, but the other ones have been a lot of on the ground research like for the yeah. first one the terminal list i'd been to iraq and afghanistan of course um then for the second one i hadn't been to mozambique so i had to go there put boots on the ground because mm -hmm. it was a very pivotal part of the story um and i'd been to morocco before i'd been to the ukraine before so i could weave that stuff in yeah. uh, for the third one i hadn't been to kamchatka peninsula russia which is just south of siberia so i had to go there and that's actually where i did the did the outline for this novel it was on the oh, plane cool and from Russia because I left my computer behind, I left my iPhone behind, uh, I took a sat phone and a notepad because, I mean, who knows what people have sent me over the years and I didn't want Russian intelligence to either suck it all out <laughs> if I was walking through right. customs or to physically confiscate my phone and computer. Um, so yeah, I just brought the sat phone and and, uh, and hand wrote out the, the outline for the devil's hand. So uh, so yeah, this one was research intensive for sure. And some yeah. people love it and some, <laughs> and some people don't. Uh, no, it's interesting yeah. looking at some of the, uh, some of the reviews. Um, but uh, for the most part, they're very good, but some people just are really, you know, people that don't like things are very vocal about it. 
And they take a lot of time out of their life to tell you how much they hate you. They're the loudest. They're the they're the loudest yeah, ones, it seems. It is. And it's so it's hard because they're so loud, it's hard to ignore because it gets, you know, it yeah. gets you. Like, hey, that's just how it goes when you're in the in the public realm. That's part of the trade off, totally. you know. Totally. And from uh I want to bring up because the 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 fact and I I'm trying to remember the way that you worded it, but it's like uh your novels are are fiction with like whispers of fact, right? And whispers so, of truth. Yeah, nice. whispers close. of truth. Yeah. I was close. I was close. I love it. I love um, it. But that's like one of the things that I love because it's like such this fine line of like you read this and could think everything in this is because a hundred percent true. You know what I mean? But like, yeah. and yeah. so I don't know if that's something that you're like trying to let us decipher what may or may not be a hundred percent accurate. But like you read this and you're like, I I could totally see all of this being a real thing. Yeah. So this, because this was so research intensive and because I didn't have a touch point with it in the military, like for the first ones, I hear that a lot. Uh, people mm-hmm. think, oh, this could, this could sound true. And then those were little like, conspiracies woven into those those first three. Um, yeah. But uh, for me, it's obvious that those are fiction. Um, yeah. What is uh, the fact part of them or how it feels to be in certain situations, like what yeah. it felt like to get ambushed in Iraq, what it felt like to be on a direct action mission in Afghanistan, whatever. Like those are woven into the storyline with the feelings and emotions behind those things yeah. and applied to a completely fictional narrative. And you're right. So this one was a little different. And this one was also the first time I've done an author's note at the end. I've always done a yeah. preface at the beginning to kind of set the tone for what's to come. And I did that in this one as well. But then I did that author's note at the end to talk about exactly what you mentioned right here, which is, hey, what is fact? What is fiction? Because I knew when people got to the end, they might have some questions about yeah. that. So I go through what's fact, what's fiction, uh, and what I uh, think may be true based on my research, because I have no background in bioweapons, no background in, uh, in that sort of thing, other than the research that I did for this novel. Right. So, uh, so I talk about that at the end uh, of, of the book, so people don't have to go out and try to you know figure or wonder what was true and what was not uh, it's right there in the back in the author's notes yeah which i when i when i read through that i'm like okay this makes the and like just like you said for, for a story like this that felt like probably a little bit more of a necessity than with the other novels just because of that's still kind of right where we are as a country and in the, in the, in the global population with a lot of this stuff going on like yeah. probably need to make some clarifications on some of that stuff yeah, but, exactly. I had a chronology of events in this one too. It was the first time yeah. I've, I've done that to kind of kind of set the tone for uh, the people that are like, oh, I kind of remember something from 1979 or 1983 or some mm-hmm. of these different events. Uh, so I, I listed them all out, uh, not all of them, but but most of the ones that were um, significant to uh, to me growing up studying yeah. this at a very young age. Um, so I've listed those out there, and I wanted to do, but I got down to the wire. I wanted to do a list of the characters in there also because there are a lot of characters. Um, and I think in my next book, if I have time, I'll do that. Um, but uh, I wanted to do that in this one, but didn't quite get to it, but at least got the chronology of events in there to kind of yeah. you know, set the tone of like, oh, this is uh, the US-Iranian relationship from 1953 up to today. Obviously, yeah. it's very contentious there in right. 1979 onward. And with the character aspect too, that's always with that whispers of truth thing, like they're all fictional characters, right? But like, as some if like if you pay attention to current climate or political climate like you can tell like some characters are are very thinly based on actual people and i'm sure like that's probably like (laughs) you've got to make some super clarifications like okay this isn't actually about this person like that kind of conversation yes any uh what does it say at the beginning it says like uh in the small print any uh (laughs) relation to anyone living or dead is just coincidence yeah (laughs) Right. right 
cool uh, no, they are, uh, yeah <laughs> they uh there are some characters that are usually they're multiple people moving yeah. to you know that are that make up one um and uh, i do that that's, that's super fun because then some people will think it's you know they'll relate it to one person maybe mm-hmm. maybe not both um but either one or the other depending on you know who, what they're reading in the news or, yeah. or whatever else. so uh first book i did that um uh for, for a certain character um and then uh in this one there's some others that uh are probably a little more loosely based on multiple people rather than just a singular singular well, person or entity and and i'm actually this came up when i was reading through the book the other day this is the first one and i've heard you talk about this process and how annoying it can be going through like uh uh Homeland Defense and State Department with all this stuff, getting all these things cleared in your books of all the things you have to write about. There wasn't anything redacted in this book, it looked like, which that hasn't been the case in the previous novels. That's right. Yeah. So I didn't submit this one because it's so far removed from anything I did in the military. Gotcha. Um, so I didn't have any touch points with anything bioweapons related at all. Uh, gotcha. It's all based on on research books that I that I read. You can go back to my my blog uh, and on social channels. I have a list of all the books that I use for research, and it's pretty high. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's it's a stack's pretty high. I'm like holding it here yeah. in my office, and and uh, it was pretty legit. So um, so yeah, this is the first. This is the worst one I didn't submit just for that reason because it's just so far removed um and there's gotcha. no way they can't get back to you in the 30 days that they say they will um they take seven months to read something that most people read in a week not right. big readers there at the pentagon um so uh yeah so, yeah so far removed. yeah i did uh, i did my best to try to in some of the past ones in some of the past novels to like do my own research to try and like figure out exactly what the things that were redacted were. And I, I, it's tough to dig through a lot of that stuff, but oh, I think I did. It's I think so I, obvious, you know, obviously because I'm yeah. so involved in it. And, yep. uh, it's, yep. Yeah. I think I did tough. all right on some of them. Nice. Nice. <laughs> yep. Yeah. None of it's secret. So right. even in uh, exactly. the second one, second one, third one, I, I appealed and uh, my lawyers tied every single redaction to a publicly available government document, meaning yeah, not from anybody can access, or not from someone else's book or anything, but from the government itself that you can go and download or look at on one of their websites. Yeah. They tied every single redaction to one of those. And uh, on that second one, True Believer, I won 37 of the 54, even though all 54 were tied to publicly available government documents. They only let me win on 37. That's um, crazy. It just shows how ridiculous that uh, that process is when Seriously. they have it on their own website and they still take it out of yours. Ridiculous, man. Yeah. Um, so I want to dive into the series a little bit uh, with what you can say because it's still uh, like it looks like they're still doing some shooting right now based on uh, recent Instagram posts. Um, what has that process been like since it's actually become a thing that now we're shooting? So like, what has this whole process been like for you? Yeah, it's crazy. You know, it's, uh, you know, growing up, I always wanted to do this since I was a little kid, uh, serve my country in uniform and then write fiction. Um, so I just always in my head from a young age, I was always like, okay, you'll be a seal, uh, you know, serve your country at the time. Back then you thought you'd go on secret missions all around the world. And that wasn't really how it was when we first got to the team, right. uh, after September 11th, we started doing what we came in to do or what we thought we were going to do when we came in. Um, but then also I knew that after that I would write novels, just like the kind mm-hmm. I was reading growing up. And then in my head, I was like, of course they'll be New York times bestsellers. And then of course they will get, uh, adapted by some A-list Hollywood star. Uh, in my head, I had Chris <laughs> Pratt as that person and that's that was so just crazy great, man. the person that's doing it. Um, so yeah, it's cool. It's so cool to see it 
uh, come to fruition like this, uh, you know, still in the middle of the, the process of filming, but to go through uh, the, the option and then to go through the script adaptations mm-hmm. um, and to see that whole process, how that works and to continue to work on that script, even as uh, you're filming. Um, that's interesting as too. They're not like set in stone because you make a change here as you're going or almost like a military plan. Like you plan it in a room, sterile environment. You think it's the greatest plan in the world. Uh, you, and then either you get out there and things change or uh, someone comes in from the outside and it's like, hey, did you think of this? And everybody's yeah. standing around the table like, oh, because you fall in love with your own plan, right. so, uh, which, is, <laughs> which is dangerous. So, so it's cool. So when you get out there, situation and terrain dictate some changes or something that sounded good in your head is dialogue when you're adapting the script. All of a sudden you get out there and Chris says it and you're like, uh, that didn't sound the same way it did when I thought, you right. know, we're in here. And Chris says, ah, yeah, that doesn't really work. Let's change it to this. And you're like, yeah, okay, go. But that also has ripple effects down to other scripts, you know, depending on how yeah. you, you change and relationship wise and all that stuff. So it's fun to continually adapt these things as you go. And my biggest takeaway from the set is that just how hard everybody works. Mm-hmm. And then also how specialized each and every person is uh, in their uh, in their pr- profession. So it's, uh, which makes them very efficient if everybody's there, you know, right. so in SEAL team or whatever, you know, we, we all have certain training that overlaps in case someone gets wounded or killed or, you know, whatever else, uh, or isn't on a mission or is task organized, uh, gives you options for task organization, depending on the mission parameters, whatever. But uh, here you're so specialized. And then I think there's unions in place that like actually keep you from doing certain things, which mm-hmm. now I understand. Now yeah. I get it. Having been there, you know, because when you're on the outside, you're looking in, you're like, oh, you know, why can't everybody just work together and get this, get it, get it done? Well, because some directors would be crazy and would keep people there for like weeks on end with no sleep. (laughs) Like that's, and so... You know, because of that, probably that's why they have these yeah. rules where you feel like only shoot for twelve hours, which is a long day. Actually, right. like when you're doing these things that are that are going on that are super physical or super intense, yeah. um, and then everybody has a separate thing that they do. You know, the guy that holds the mic here, the guy that's moving the camera here, the person that's moving the vehicles around, the stuntman, the explosives guy. Like, you know, all mm-hmm. all these people are working together, but they're so specialized in what they do. So that that was cool. That was my my biggest takeaway. I think was just you know from the outside. We watch a show and we're very, very quick to be like, oh, psh, you know, that's, right. that's horrible or that, you know, how why did they do that? Or, you know, that was messed up or that guy never did a press check or whatever it is, you know, <laughs> right. and it's so easy to do that from the couch and then go on, you know, go on to your next thing and check Instagram. Um, <laughs> but really, when you're 350 people working on these things, working these long hours and they're so just involved in this and so dedicated to it from at every single level. It's really cool. And it's like a military operation. You have like craft food services is there feeding everybody. You know, you have the explosives guy, just like in your platoon, you have your breacher. Uh, You Mm -hmm. know, you have your weapons guy in the platoon and same thing here. You have a weapons guy on set and you're, you're turning back in your nods, your, your, your night vision, you're turning Mm -hmm. back in your weapon. You know, he's checking that off, checking the serial numbers, making sure there's accountability for everything from all the, all the actors, Uh, the transportation guy, just like in a platoon, you have your mobility guys that are specializing mm-hmm. in that um then you have the commanding officer which is like antoine fuqua directing like he's the yeah. commanding officer and then you have chris there, who's like the platoon commander or troop commander you know at that tactical level and those guys are kind of setting the tone for everything else that happens there so there are a lot of similarities to yeah. uh military operation probably feels right at home for you then yeah it was in great a, in a sense that first episode because it was uh seal centric and so we had yeah. like, 12 guys that i worked with in the teams uh, a good buddy i was down downrange with in iraq on my last deployment and you know we're all there having a having a reunion so that That's was awesome. uh, that was amazing yeah it was super fun so how involved are you in the actual show process like are you 
consulting? Are you like involved in the writing or how, what is your role in all of that? Yeah, so I was very involved in the first script because then the showrunner slash screenwriter, he takes that uh, mm -hmm. with Antoine and Chris and then they shopped it around. They took it mm -hmm. to Amazon, they took it to Netflix, they took it to Apple, they took it to HBO, they took it to all these different places and then did their business thing and then Amazon and ended up with it. Uh, from there, Amazon invests and they get a writer's room together. So like 15 different writers. Um, so I advised on those scripts, but then those writers are only contracted for a certain amount of time and they go off to other projects. And then it reverts mm. back to the showrunner and, uh, and another screenwriter. So then we continue to refine those scripts. They go to Chris, they go to Antoine, they go up the chain at Amazon, just like in any big bureaucracy, they go up to the top, people yep. make their notes, and then they come back down with those questions and, and notes. So it's a very interesting process, very different than writing a novel where it's just you. Um, and in my case, it's funny, I was on a, an interview, God, maybe two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and I was with a, a reviewer who was also trying to get a book published. And he was talking about this, and it was three of us on there. There were two interviewers and, and me, and uh, they started talking about editorial calls. And I'm nodding my head, you know, like, oh, an editorial call, yeah. And then finally I'm like, what's an editorial call? <laughs> well, that's when you're an editor and you plan out the next book and talk about the direction, and I'm like, Never had one. Like, <laughs> never had any direction from Simon and Schuster at all, which is so cool. That's um, awesome because I have just free reign to do it. Yeah. And I didn't know that going in. You know, you think, okay, you're going to Simon and Schuster. You're, they're probably going to say, hey, you might want to ease off here. You might want to add right. a little something here. Let's do this. Zero. None of that ever. That's um, awesome. Not to say it won't ever happen ever, but up to this right. point, anyway, no one's ever even hinted uh, to me that I should do something or shouldn't do something. They have let me had complete free reign throughout this. And I really didn't know stepping in. So um, yeah, I've never had an editorial call. So point that's being, awesome. that's different than the, the process when you're right. writing a script. So right. many people are involved, which also uh, now I might, I mean, I've always been forgiving uh, when I find a mistake somewhere or, or mm -hmm. anything, it's just, you know, fine. Um, I don't let it ruin my life. Mm -hmm. um, like when that, what was that coffee cup that left behind in Game of Thrones? And it was yep. like, <laughs> you know, I see how easy it is to yes, do that because Starbucks you know, there's cup. so many takes that you do from so many different angles for all this stuff. And then you, people come in and then you have to reshoot. It's yep. so easy to have something a bit out of place or to leave yep. something, leave a water bottle. Just slip through the cracks. Cup. So easy. Yeah. Uh, and then that's not even talking about once it gets to editing. And then the people that were like doing the technical advising on set uh, aren't there in the editing room and they use mm. something that a take that where the actor did something wrong with like a weapon or, or whatever else. Oh. Uh, or the angle might be, he might have done everything right, or but the angle just doesn't look quite right, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so people are like, oh, screenshot, bullshit, you know? Yeah. I can see how easy it is now uh, after being on set for those things to, to slip through. So um, I'm even more forgiving now than I was. I That's awesome. From the, so from I have to ask from the Chris Pratt standpoint, because I've heard you say like he was who you had in mind, like writing the first book or, or even prior to that, like when he was still Andy Dwyer on yeah. Parks and Rec and wasn't like, a you know, an Avenger yet, basically like a superhero. So. I don't know if it changed from the time when you're writing it to now that he's actually a part of it, but do you write with him in mind as James? Like, does that come into your conscience at all as you write it? He is the one playing this. Yeah, it's a great question. I look at them as distinctly different. So I look right. at him playing my character, right? Uh, which is different than him as my character, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. 
Yeah. Um, so I think anybody else writing out there, I think that's helpful not to picture it, it like as a child of the eighties, it's impossible for me not to picture, uh, people playing these different roles, but that's right. the key is that they're actors playing a role. Yeah. They're not the person. So as I'm writing and this might change once I see the, 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 the uh, series, especially if it's good, um, right. that, that might change and I might see Chris in that role. But right now, um, I don't, it, it's the opposite of that. I see Chris playing James Reese, not okay. Chris is James Reese as I'm writing, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Cause I mean, when I, when I read it, I'm totally just in my mind's eye, just picturing Pratt doing all of it, nice. which yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. Yeah. Like it's cool. Cause like, even like the, you know, cause I've, I've heard you say before, like he, the reason you liked him so much is because he is so relatable on like a lot of levels personally. And like, so like the little funny quips and stuff like that, that's totally like right up Chris Pratt alley. And so like, yeah. I read those little one liner, funny one liners that come in. So I'm like, Oh yeah, it's totally Pratt. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's, it's like people already like him. So he's coming yeah. into this. He doesn't totally. have to win the audience over as far as likability. Um, yeah. So, in fact, it's the opposite. Like, uh, in this case, he's done so many uh, things, Love Ventures and Guardians of the Galaxy and Jurassic yeah. World and these things right now that uh, uh, that are so different than this. And now he's primal. He's visceral. He's violent. He's yeah. dark. He's gritty. So all these things that the audience hasn't seen him do yet. So this is the yeah. first time they'll see him in this role. But regardless, because he's likable on screen and mm -hmm. off screen, um, and he comes into that with both of those already attached, now playing this character, James Reese. So it's a really cool thing, I think, for him as his his uh, you know career continues to, to yeah. go this direction. Um, and uh, so it's a cool test also. So audience will be, will be like, all right, it's time for Chris to prove that he can do this. And I'll yeah. tell you, he's crushing. Like, That's like, awesome. Yeah, I, I texted him the other day. I'm like, uh, after I left the set, and I'm like, hey, I had high expectations, uh, and you, you know, you exceeded each and every one of them. And That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. From the and and you bring up a, a cool point from the vi like the violence standpoint. Um, I'm curious as it relates to the you know making something for viewing. Some of the stuff in some of these novels is like some pretty intense, violent stuff like have you already had to have the conversations of what can and maybe shouldn't be in like the amazon series or is there anything that they just say because it's amazon do whatever you want no so they didn't say um there's some things that didn't make it in because you have eight episodes uh, okay. which is a great way to tell this story yeah. um i don't think anything didn't make it in because it was violent uh, okay. and now there's one particular thing that's that's back in that wasn't uh there that i think people will be really happy with uh, of course everything can change so i'll be a little bit hesitant right. to fully commit uh sure. until until it's actually out there then i'll can go back and tell you know the the story but um yeah but uh but yeah i can be happier with how things are uh working out of course there's going to be and for me it's important also i think to set it set the tone like hey it's, it's going to be different you're telling yeah. a story visually rather than on the written page um so anyone that's seen any adaptation of anything uh knows that it's going to be different and you can sure. either go in and if it's not exactly the same uh then be completely dissatisfied you know you see that and it yeah when, you know but you can also go in with, hey, this is a film adaptation of a novel. It's going to be different. Let's see how they do. 
You know, yeah. like that's that's the way to approach any of these things, because if you ever go in to watch a movie of your favorite novel or a novel you enjoyed and it's and you're going in thinking, hey, if it's not exactly the same, I am going to be furious. They they will have ruined it. Like, yeah. OK, I guess a lot of people go through life that way, especially if you yourself up Twitter to comments and YouTube comments. Like, yes. that's, that's not a good way to approach things. Seriously. Um, you know, I mean, I, you know, shouldn't say good way to approach that. I mean, it's a way to approach things, but it just doesn't <laughs> seem like it, you know. You want to be a happy person and enjoy life. Right? <laughs> you can go in and be like, oh, let's see how they did with this thing. You know, oh, that's cool. I see they changed that or this. You know, there's just, yeah. you know, everything in life is about uh, about attitude. You get to, and you get to choose, you know, it's not nobody yeah. else but uh, but you. So, uh, yeah. I love <laughs> Good it. Luck and best wishes. I'm, I'm pumped. And so you said 20, so to wrap up that part, 2022 is is the release when yeah, you're thinking. Yeah, I don't have the exact date yet. Um, yeah. I don't think we even have one, but uh yeah, sure. yeah, sometime in 2022, um, awesome. I think. So it, uh, yeah, it goes into some post-production after they finish filming, and then you know, I'm not sure exactly how the process works from there, but uh, but I'll be I'll be learning. I'm always soaking it all in. Always always learning. Awesome, and hopefully it becomes massive success, and we get to do more seasons for all the other ones as well. <laughs> yeah, let's, uh, let's hope so. Um, so we'll see. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, it's my first experience with anything like this, but it's also cool to have people coming up to me on set and saying, hey, we've done worked on hundreds of films and we have not, this one feels different. Like cool. uh, everybody is so cool. Everybody is so, so nice. Chris and Antoine, all these directors, everybody's so, so focused. And it's, it's yeah. uh, so it's really cool to have people coming up to me on set and then, you know, asking to take pictures or sign books or say, Hey, my son just joined the Marine Corps. He's in boot camp right now. He's a huge fan of the books. And I'm like, yeah, here, here's a book. I'm wishing my best, you know, boom. Awesome. so I love, I love doing that. And uh, I guess that's also not very typical on set. So a lot of people made that comment as well, that uh, that's it's awesome. not typical to have people coming up doing that sort of thing. So it's a, uh, it's really cool. It's feel like a family yeah i'm pumped man so uh, i mentioned to you that uh so we're recording this for the podcast but we're we're live streaming this into my coaching group and i talked to the guys uh in there and told them that you know we were going to be talking today and said if there was any questions uh that they had that they wanted me to ask and we have a couple of like pretty heavy gearheads that are in my coaching group so they nice. they just dig right into what you do because that's i mean you are a super gearhead writer and detailed with all that stuff and specifically i was told to ask about the land cruiser and uh because you just had the whole thing basically rebuilt and all that stuff and so uh that's a main staple in novels as well because that's like what james drives and so uh basically my my question had to do with how you bring the gear from and, and like the car and all that stuff from really real life into the thing and why that's so important for you to have that tie-in yeah, I've been a gear guy since uh, before the military. Just growing up, I was always interested in in gear, and I grew up um, on uh, trail systems and going to the backcountry with my parents and and that sort of thing. So I was always interested in uh, in gear. You know, back then you're reading Outside Magazine and Backpacker Magazine. Of course, I got Soldier of Fortune. So I have that. So I was like looking at all these things, and then I'm wondering, hey, why is this all this outdoor stuff so technical and high speed? And then I go to the Army surplus store here in in town, or I look at something on the military side of the house or the hunting side of the house. And it's just like bulky and, and, uh, you know, anyway. Um, so I always asking questions about gear and figuring out yeah. how we can do it better and faster. Uh, that continued in the military and it, and it continues today. But, um, because of that background, I just gear tells me a story. So if I see yeah. you and you're wearing a, a, a leather holster and a leather belt with a 1911 cocked and locked, um, you know, that tells me something about you. You know, I see something, I see you wearing a, uh, a nylon belt with a Kydex holster and a striker fire pistol that tells me something else. Um, mm -hmm. but all this gear tells 
tells the story to include the vehicles. Um, yeah, growing up, of course, vehicles were a, a mainstay of 80s television. They were like mm -hmm. characters in and of themselves. So, uh, so what people drive and in real life, that tells me something about them as well. So uh, the Land Cruiser was important. It's my vehicle. Uh, yeah. So it's natural that it's my protagonist's vehicle. And then the Land Cruiser community is just awesome. Like I've never met someone who's a, uh, a, 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 a never met a Land Cruiser aficionado who uh, wasn't cool, you know, just yeah. like, yeah, it's just a really awesome community. People are super, super into it and want to see other people's rigs and see what they did and how they did it and, you know, all that sort of thing. So, um, so very cool. Plus, I've used them all over the world. Uh, and uh, so I'm just just a fan. So, yeah, the Land Cruiser that they got for the series is uh, is pretty sweet. I don't want to give too much away. Cool. Uh, people, there, there's some, some paparazzi shots of it online, but it's really cool how they have to do multiple, get multiple vehicles, you know? They oh, can't yeah. just have one, they get multiple. And, yeah. So there's some cool things coming coming with that. That's awesome. I almost had, uh, I had a chance because I was talking to some guy. So I'm up in, in Boise area in Idaho and uh, I was messaging back and forth with a guy who had one, I believe it was an 87. And, uh, he was back in North Carolina or something like that. And he had listed it. And like, before I even had the chance to send another reply back after we'd gone back and forth, he'd sold it to somebody else. And I was like, Oh, now like I would have flown out and got the thing and driven it back. And I know I like, it, they're hard to find day, man. not rusted out. And it's like, you know, original yeah. low miles. Like that's, Oh man, if you can find, find that stuff. Cause most people have done something to them at this point, or they've been yeah. sitting or, you know, who knows? So I'm always on the lookout as well. So I have an FJ 40 that's getting redone now at, uh, Nice. With uh, Corsetti Cruisers out in, in LA, I always wanted a, I always wanted FJ40, so uh, so that's coming. Over, I think it's like a year out, but um, but yeah, it takes a while to, to do these things. And then I'm looking oh, for, for an sure. 80. I'm looking for that 40th 80. anniversary 80 edition, uh, 80 series that nice. uh, at the factory locking diffs and that sort of thing. So I want to, but yeah, once again, you gotta you gotta you gotta search. And once yeah, again, it's gotta time. Dig. So. Uh, so yeah, one thing that I, that I, uh, it, it's not at the top of my list as far as how I start my, my day, but if I come across <laughs> one, it's, uh, yeah, it's on the list. Right. Um, and then to continue on with the gear stuff, cause one of the other questions, uh, that I was, that was brought up to ask you, um, more had to do with, uh, EDC stuff because, uh, you post a lot about in your blog when you have, you know, all your gear guides and all that kind of stuff. Um, a lot of a couple of the guys that that I work with had asked me specifically like where do I even start when it comes to this kind of thing and so I thought that would be uh, a good question to ask you is like if someone's coming into kind of the EDC world everyday carry world like what are some of the basics uh, that you would include if you're like helping someone just like figure out what to do yeah you know fieldcraft survival is a great resource for all that stuff like that's what they do yeah uh, is preparedness they have a great website you can go through uh, i've done some stuff with them out here they're right down the road in heber utah i mean people drove out from california they drove out from from colorado i couldn't believe it the other day when i did a, a talk there with mike glover out there his former um, army special forces guy yeah. uh, who's awesome by the way but uh, probably those types of of resources like starting there and then mm -hmm. looking around seeing where where you live who's passing through town um that uh that does courses okay you can kind of research their background see online who they do things with online who they follow back in the day you couldn't do that you know you'd walk up in your gun store and there'd be a like a car three by five car with somebody's name and a number on it you're like <laughs> okay i guess this is the guy around here we'll or, try you know. now you can you can actually go online and look at these backgrounds um yeah. it's, very, it's a lot harder to get away with saying you were something that you weren't today because it's all it's yeah. all out there um but uh 
so yeah, it's a, it's a journey and starting at square one is, uh, you know, one, Hey, that's good that you recognized it probably over this last year. You were like, Ooh, I didn't particularly last March, last April when you were like, Oh geez, I don't know if, uh, there's going to be food at the grocery store, uh, right. on the job tomorrow. So people started thinking about preparedness in general back then, um, and started thinking, Oh geez, maybe I need this financial foundation, um, and some savings just in case I don't have a job tomorrow. Yeah. How long do I need? Well, what's my family like? Where do I live? Do you need one month, two month, three month, four months? Like, what does that look like? It's going to be different for everybody. Um, and then also preparedness levels where you live. Okay. Food, water filtration system. Oh, maybe I should get it. Then the summer of civil unrest hits and people started yeah. thinking, Oh geez. I mean, they were thinking about it before. Like, Hey, if I call 911 back in that time when everything was so uncertain with COVID, uh, in early 2020, uh, not knowing if someone was going to be there to pick up the phone, people are already starting to think, Oh, maybe I am responsible for the safety of, of myself and my yeah. family. Um, what do I need to do to be prepared there? Oh, maybe I should look into getting a firearm. Uh, okay. Then, then they start their journey, you know, from there. Of course, the most important part of that is the training aspect. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, lifestyle is an overused word, but it's a, it's a journey. It's just a part of life and it's so natural, um, for, for, for a lot of us. And if it's not for you and you start thinking about it, it probably will become natural because yeah. we're here because we had ancestors who were good at defending the tribe, good at putting, putting food on the table because you had to be good at those right. two things to live, uh, today, you know, you be able to outsource a lot of that stuff or you think you can outsource that stuff. Um, but, uh, society is fragile as the last year has taught people that didn't know that before. That's why travel is so important. Go to these different countries, go to, go into Africa, go into, you know, the, the, the Southeast Asia, go into India, go into Russia, go into these different places, go to South America, Central America, because you get a feel for just how fragile society can be. Yeah. Um, and then you take those lessons home and you're more appreciative of the freedoms that we have here. One. Uh, and then two, you realize, oh, okay. Um, maybe those things could happen here if you've grown up thinking that they'll never happen here in the united states yeah. no way it's the united states um so it really comes back to your responsibility as a citizen um they say who's who's responsible for the safety of your family you uh yeah. who's responsible for putting that food on the table you um and uh so that really started a lot of people along this journey i think and if they have the time they should make the time, but, uh, it's going to one of these places, like going to Thunder Ranch, going to, you know, see Academy, going to some of these places that are, uh, that are established that, uh, that you trust, uh, and that probably even more important than just being on the range and learning, okay, here's your draw stroke. Okay, great. Is just being around people that are, yeah. are also thinking about some of those things that you are thinking about being prepared, thinking about taking care of their families, uh, all that sort of thing. So it's just like, okay, Got it. And you get some certain ideas from these different people and you kind of feel more comfortable in that, uh, in that, in that segment of society. And you kind of just, you know, you move along your journey from there, just like with anything else. So do you have a couple of favorite pieces right now that are like, cause I imagine yours is kind of evolving fairly regularly or maybe not. I don't know, but do you have a couple of things that you are part of your kind of everyday carry kit that are your favorites right now? Yep. Yep. So it's a, it's a fixed blade, which is right out here in my little, I have a little tray out here mm -hmm. where the fixed blade is, a light is, um, so a, uh, a folder. So for opening up all these boxes and, and things like that, so it's not the fixed blade that you're going to be fighting with. So you always know that one is sharp, um, mm -hmm. rather than, oh, geez, I opened the 3000 boxes with this the other day. And now it's my, <laughs> you know, also the tool that I'm going to use if I'm in a, in a fight and I need to go to a blade. Um, so yeah, I've just, I have different blades for that. So, um, so those two, so two blades and, mm -hmm. and it's 
not about being paranoid. It's just like being prepared. Like, you yeah, know, it's just easy. You just walk out the door with with that stuff and it just becomes yeah. kind of natural. Um, usually I carry that P365 just because it's just such a great concealed carry pistol. Um, if we're going somewhere else or I think, you know, I don't know, I'm going to take us take another second to think about it. Then uh, the SIG, the, a, the P320 uh, AXG Scorpion is a, is a pretty sweet pistol that I, that nice. I love and carrying for a while. So I have all these setups, have all these holsters. Let's um, have a lot of choices. I like, I like options. Um, yeah. I have a light on my pistol. Then I also carry one um, because you don't want to be covering something with your muzzle because you happen to have a light on your pistol, but you don't have another one to light up something that doesn't need to be covered down on with a pistol. Um, so it's just some, some basic, basic stuff like that. But, yeah. um, but people whose lives revolve around teaching people to be prepared, like Mike Glover at Fieldcraft Survival, I think that's probably a good way for, for people yeah. to stop. For sure. Um, we're going to wrap up here because I know you got to get going, but I wanted to bring up before we bounce, you got a uh, podcast yourself now that sure. is that is fairly new. How has that been going? I, I imagine you've probably been getting requested forever about just getting your own already, right? Yeah, and I wanted to do it uh, for a while. I actually recorded my first episode in November of um, November of 2019. Yeah, November 2019. Um, and because uh, I wanted to do that because social media just I get a lot of questions and yeah. a lot of the questions, um, if you answer with one a word, a one sentence or two sentence answer on a Twitter or Instagram when you're talking about something that requires a little more nuance, a little more thought, or maybe it's a contentious issue, that sort of thing. All it does is dissolve into uh, to chaos fairly quickly. So uh, the podcast is a way for me to have that long form conversation like we're having now, uh, mm -hmm. which is a lot um, I don't know. It's just a just a better format for discussing yeah. some of these things. So that was the the original reason that I wanted to because people kept reaching out with these questions. I didn't want to answer with one sentence online um, and then have it just every chime in and interpret it however they want and then <laughs> right. So I didn't want to add to that chaos. If you know, what I mean. there's plenty of that out yeah. there. You can find it totally. very easily if you're looking, uh, which I don't really recommend. But uh, but yeah, so podcast is a better way to do that. So I can go back now and say, hey, you know what I really meant. I don't know if that came off quite right. What I meant to say was this, mm -hmm. if, that, if that makes sense. And then you say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And then follow up the question. It's just a just more thoughtful way to discuss these things. So I don't think social media in general has been very good for our national discourse or our civility. Yeah, uh, I would agree. It's just how it goes. <laughs> are you having a good time doing the podcast though? Because you're, yeah, I think we're yeah, like seven, eight close. episodes in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think eight dropped yeah. today. Uh, so they drop every Wednesday. And uh, yeah, it's called Danger Close Beyond the Books with Jack Carr, which allows me to really talk to anybody about, about anything. Um, so it's super fun. And uh, awesome. yeah, this little podcast studio thing set up here, right here, just off camera. That's uh, I just like press a button and record and go. So, uh, so yeah, it's just another way to engage with readers also that people couldn't have done, authors couldn't have done 30 years ago. Couldn't have done that if you're an author. 1965, 75, 85, 95. But today I can do that. I can thank people yeah. for taking a risk on me as a new author, for reading the books and for telling a friend. Um, so it's another outlet, uh, another platform where I can where I can do that. So uh, I figure might as well, it, it's available, it's out there. So uh, might as well take advantage of it and uh, for engagement purposes and be able to thank people that uh, have taken a risk on me. That's awesome. And everybody should go check it out because I've, I've listened to the first two or three and it's awesome. So oh, yeah. Yeah. Go check it out. And we'll wrap up here. Uh, Jack, thank you for making the time today. It was awesome to get to talk to you and hopefully we can do it again when the next book comes around and, uh, and stay in touch. Thanks a lot. Yeah, man. No, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. I sincerely appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. Sounds good. 
All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. I had a blast talking to him. It was really cool to, to talk to him after reading his books and loving them so much for the last couple of years. And uh, I'm really looking forward to having him back on when the next book comes out. So uh, if you guys haven't done so yet, go to nomad-strength.com. Sign up for the newsletter. It's going to be where you can get all the updates on uh, new shows that are coming out as well as new coaching programs and everything that's going to be coming out soon in the next handful of weeks. So stay up to date on all the things that are going on and go sign up for the newsletter and I will see you guys later. Mm-hmm.